0: Episode of the Cycling Tips Podcast. I'm Abby Mickey, and I am joined by Kaylee Fretz, once again. Not hosting this week.
1: Nope, I'm not home yet. I don't have my my good microphone. You could probably hear that out there, listeners. Uh, and I feel like whoever if I don't have a good microphone, I can't I can't be the host. Like the first the first sounds to come out of your speakers for this podcast should not be my grainy microphone. That would that would scare
2: people away.
0: And. Dane Cash. Dane, how's it going?
2: Yeah, going well, thank you. How you doing?
0: Yeah, pretty good. Ronan, how's that garage coming?
2: Yeah,
3: I am now a roofer. I can I can put a roof on buildings.
1: I'm not sure that makes you a roofer.
3: Yeah, well, I suppose that the test will be if it leaks or not, but so far <laughs> so good.
0: I guess you can quit your job at cycling tips and just go do roofs now.
3: Uh, I thank my lucky stars for my job at cycling tips because <laughs> I am not built for... For heavy lifting,
1: I mean, I I re- I recently installed a vanity in and a sink, uh, and I'm not sure that makes me a plumber. I don't.
3: Yeah, I'm pretty sure it
1: does. There was some leaking afterward. There, now there's there's enough leaking afterward that is probably I should probably not do I've that had,
3: either. I've had leaks from professional plumbing installations. <laughs>
1: i've just sort of
0: all right nope nope oh. cutting off this conversation <laughs> i am
1: nice job, executing
0: Abby. my right to lead this podcast in a direction that everyone wants to hear which is not this
1: so if you if you if you run a lot of silicon around whatever is leaking it no, will no, no, probably no, no, stop no, no, leaking no. that's enough
0: can i mute him <laughs> all right before we dive into the episode to talk about the giro the dauphine has begun and the lotto turingan ladies tour a little bit of that let's hear about continental we don't have shoddy dave everett today but i feel it's important to keep the continental news in the interesting uh, accent family so ronan
2: can we can we just point out that if like for listeners in Ireland. We are the interesting accents.
1: I don't think American accents are ever
3: interesting. I will try to be as interesting-sounding as I can.
0: All right, Ronan, what do we have to learn about Continental today?
3: Well, uh, here's a bit of post-Giro Insider information. Remember that uh, stage that Taco Vanderhorn sold off for victory in? Well, that was uh, stage three, if you don't remember. But uh, actually, the interesting thing about that is he was riding tubeless Continental, Continental. GP5000 TL tires. When he did that, Conti tested the GP5000 against their own competition tublers. At uh, 45 kph, the tubeless tires have a 12 watt advantage. 12 watts? That's actually pretty massive. That's
1: a lot of watts. <laughs> that
3: is. Yeah. Uh, which equated, this ad has sold me, uh, so, <laughs> which equated to a 4 second per kilometer gain for tackle. So if he had been riding tublers in that stage, he, it says here he probably wouldn't have won, but I'm going to change that to he definitely wouldn't have won. Um, the Conti GP5000 TL is a tyre that everyday roadies through to pros can use. With Vectron puncture protection and black chilli compound, it has all you need to keep your riding safe and happy. Score another win for Team NoTube? Uh. I'm, I'm just reading what it says here.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Don't shoot the messenger.
3: That's the kind of stat that could actually
1: that could make me leave Team Tube inside behind, but I'm not I'm not quite there yet.
3: I, I actually yeah I already ride GP five thousand TLs. Um, I, I've never I've never had the guts to admit it to the rest of the <laughs> Team Tube inside here, but uh, I do I do ride the TL tires already, so I I have got all my twelve watts already gained.
0: <laughs> all right, well, thank you so much to Continental for sponsoring this episode and let's get into it so the last time we recorded a podcast was stage 19 of the giro which means we've only got two stages to recap but dan do you want to fill us in on the information that we should know
2: uh yeah we should know that a gun won the giro d'italia and i don't know that we need to give a full accounting of, of how that happened over the last two days or the last 21 stages for that matter. Cause I feel like our listeners probably have a good idea, but yeah, he held on. Uh, it looked like he wasn't quite as strong heading into the final few stages as he had been in the second week, but uh, held on a really great ride by Damiano Caruso on stage 20 to take the stage win, but he didn't get enough of a gap to really challenge Bernal and a rider that a lot of people had kind of been worried about. Uh, Yates, Simon Yates didn't really, it seemed like his sort of resurgence there was kind of uh, short-lived. He had a nice few stages there towards the end of the second week or, or the start of the third week. But, uh, yeah, he, he was just he was just okay in the last uh, two days of the race, three days of the race. So, Egan Bernal ended up holding on. Uh, the, the time trial won by Filippo Ganna. Uh, Egan Bernal did a fine ride in that time trial and ended up winning the Giro d'Italia, his second career grand tour win, by one minute and 29 seconds over Damiano Caruso with Simon Yates in third at 4.15 back. So Bernal, he's back. He's, he's got a second Grand Tour win. Uh, in the end, I think he won pretty comfortably. We weren't really sure what to expect after his uh, one rough day, basically. Uh, but I think he, he held on just fine. He wrote a little bit more conservatively in those last few days. Uh, kind of a far cry from when he emphatically won that stage and uh, took the time to take his jacket off to show the jersey. Uh, he wrote a little more conservatively after that but won the race pretty handily in the end and uh, i think he's proven that he is he's back got the, he's got the bright future that had that we all thought he had
0: i think the way that he rode stage 20 and the way that he looked on stage 19 that it was actually it actually made for a more exciting finale because going into the last few days of the race there was like all this speculation about whether or not he'd be able to hold on given how he looked in the final couple stages and it made it so there was a lot more excitement around those last couple stages versus when he was super dominant earlier on in the race so i think that was actually you know in the end he was fine but it did make for a couple really exciting storylines in before the race wrapped up
1: it wasn't even really an off day right it was just sort of a yeah, it's not like he lasts five minutes on one day, one sort of slightly off day. And then the rest of it just seemed quite conservative, which I think is a sort of a sign of maturity from a Grand Tour rider. Right. I think that that's that's kind of how we can interpret those last couple days is that he, you know, he had the time that he needed. He knew that the riders directly behind him were not the type that were going to take. Two plus minutes back on him uh in a time trial. And so yeah, he played it really, really conservative. You know, like he followed the right riders. He didn't follow Yates that one time when Yates went. I think he, he probably could have. Uh yeah, I think I think it was the sign of a mature, you know, now two grand tour winning egan Bernal. A bit more in the in the in the guise of kind of the traditional Ineos model as well. I mean even the day that Caruso and Bardet headed up the road, right? I mean, that 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 was a bit probably more chaos than Ineos would have liked. But at the same time, that team was still so strong, and in particular, Danny Martinez and Castellano were so strong that they were able to hold that race together for him. And basically, that I think, you know, the, the team the team won him the Giro that day that could have gone pear shaped really, really, really easily, right? But Anyhouse proved once again, as they proved year after year after year, that they bring these super strong teams to to grand tours and they were able as a result to, to hold the whole thing together for them.
0: And that's pretty much exactly what Dave Brailsford said after the race. He said it was a team win that Bernal was amazing. And especially when Caruso went up the road and Bernal was able to stay composed and really, Um, ride like someone with a lot more experience than he has that that was a a key day in this Giro but also that the team won Bernal this Giro I mean of course he had to finish it off but yeah it was definitely a team effort he also said that um, Bernal is definitely not doing the tour
1: I'll believe it when I see it the tour is really soon (laughs) the tour is just over three weeks from now right Starts the 26th, I believe, of June. Uh, yeah, uh, now I, I could see him not doing the Tour de France. I think that that's that would be a reasonable thing. But I also could see him do the Tour de France. I, uh, Ineos at the Tour is going to have like six leaders anyway. So maybe they don't need seven. Yeah, just just, you know. Yeah, this is this is what's what's a what's a seven pronged trident? Is that just a fork? It's, is it the Ineos fork?
3: It'd be easier if you just go for an 8-prong trident. That would be two forks, because there's four prongs in each fork. The double fork. <laughs> and he has to go into the Tour with two forks.
2: Hopefully, he mentioned uh, looking at possibly the Vuelta, and hopefully they'll send him there, and hopefully they'll do it with a bunch of other leaders for the Vuelta too, because you know a two-forked attack for the Vuelta would also be pretty entertaining. And I think they might send a few a few riders with Grand Tour wins, or at least Grand Tour podiums on their Palmares for that race. So
0: That's like an end-of-the-season like party for them just chaos so so we
1: enjoy trafficking in what ifs on this podcast sometimes uh just because they're fun thought experiments right like in sport you can never truly what if because there's so many different there's so many different just pieces to the puzzle right but let's play a little what if game does Bernal win this giro if Pogacar and Roglic are there because I think that's the big question for sort of next year's Tour de France, right? Now that, any, now that Bernal has done this, surely he is the leader again for next year's Tour de France, which means he's going to be up against the Slovenian duo.
2: I think, first, first of all, I think with uh, Roglic and Pogacar, if, you, if you're talking about them going for the Giro and not just like riding the Giro, if we're saying what if they're actually here and going for the win, uh, I don't think Bernal comes all that close to winning right now. <laughs> But I also don't think that that necessarily means he's not going to be there next year because he's still coming off this injury and he's talking about it very often how much it affects him. And it, yeah, who knows how much to trust a rider when they talk about stuff like that. Contador told us he was sick or injured like every day of every race ever. And he would win half of those races. Uh, but it does seem like Bernal really is still affected by that. So I don't think he would, I don't think he would be either one of those riders in this race, but I do think this is a step towards kind of getting back to that level. Um, those riders, though, if you look at this field, it's just not I, I don't want to say too much about what this means for Bernal and his career, because this is just not the, the caliber of field that we're going to get at a race like the Tour de France and Roglic and Pogacar have They've been on another level all season long. Uh, I'm, I'm actually kind of thinking this doesn't even necessarily guarantee Bernal leadership at the Tour next year uh, with Teo Gegenhart, with Richard Karpas, Gary Thomas. Well, t- t- let's OK. I love Teo. Teo. Teo won a
1: race with an even weaker field. Let's let's keep that in mind. Like a much weaker field, Danny Martinez seems to be pretty happy in that in that kind of super domestique role. I mean, I don't think he would have. Maybe he just went to Ineos for the paycheck. That's entirely possible because we know that they're going to pay a lot better than than EF. But it, I still don't think he would have gone to Ineos thinking, "Oh, I'm going to lead this entire team at the Tour de France." I don't. I don't think that he would have had that in mind. I, I still think that Bernal is. I still think Bernal is Brailsford's play for the future here. I mean, Garrett Thomas is, is well, he's kind of over the peak. Let's be honest. Uh, maybe he'll prove me wrong this summer, but he certainly seems to be. He's got Bernal has got to be the, 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 the leader for the next couple of years. I would think unless who knows, you know, maybe, maybe Brailsford picks up some other young phenom. Maybe a goes over to Ineos or something like that. That wouldn't surprise me at all. We shall see.
0: Really? That would surprise me.
1: I, I could see him wanting to get away from a
3: Belgian team. Hmm. He, did, he did just sign for five years, didn't he? Yeah, I could see him split. Uh, I, I want to know where, we might be going off on a tangent here, but where's Almeida going if we look at the Quickstep GC riders? He has said he's leaving, but he hasn't said where he's going. And I kind of hope he doesn't go to any but um and that, and that final week, he was one of the most impressive riders in the race there. So he, he could be the one we see jump ship there. Trek needs
1: somebody. I wonder
0: if he'll go to Trek, yeah. actually.
1: Well, we're getting into silly season talk, which is more like August. We'll, we'll leave
2: that for later in the, in the season.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah Dane, what else, what else at the Giro kind of really stood out to you?
2: Well, we should probably talk about Damiano Caruso, uh, who finished second as the... Heading into the race, he was the third rider on that team. If, if even that, we just... He might have just been a, a pure domestique. I don't even know that anybody's thinking about him even as the third rider. He was just more like a guy on the team. Because for Bahrain Victorious, it was all about Mika Landa and Peo Bilbao heading into this race. And Landa, of course, crashed out quite depressingly. Uh, and Peo Bilbao was, was fine, uh, but ended up not being nearly as good as Damiano Caruso, who yeah, ended up taking second overall in the race, won a stage, and just looked, he looked like he'd been there before. He looked like he was somebody who was a, a GC contender all along, when he really wasn't. He wasn't somebody that we expected at all going in. To make much of a dent in the GC classification, because he's just generally seen as a support rider. So good on him for for pulling that off. He he did uh, he he did show his strength both in the climbs, and then you know he had a fine final TT as well. It wasn't great, but uh, he showed that he's got you know the full all round package as a rider. And I think Byron Victorius has to be pretty happy with this because another frustrating, disappointing you know, race for, for Mika Landa, but uh, Baron Victorious comes away with a really strong result. Anyway,
1: I think Caruso was the strongest guy in the last week, honestly. I mean, the, you know, his little raid with Roman Bardet, that was super impressive. And granted they had teammates with them. And so they were able to kind of hit that final climb relatively fresh relative to the riders behind them, but still, you know, spent a bunch of time off the front and then held off a charging group. They they didn't have a big gap at the bottom of that climb. They had what like 35 seconds or something like that? Held off a charging group behind to hang on to that stage win. dropped Roman Bardet, who, you know, was really only after the stage win and, and really just dropped him like dropped him like a rock, right? I mean Bardet didn't even take a turn from the bottom of that climb to the top, really. I think he took like one really quick one. Super impressive. And then to take a bit of time back in that TT as well. I, I was massively impressed with with Caruso in the last week. I don't want to be a downer, but it is worth mentioning that you know, uh, Caruso Caruso had a, like a doping positive when he was a junior. Rode with Ivan Basso and some other somewhat sketchy fellas. Um, he was
2: banned for having attempted to acquire illicit substances. I believe was the uh, yes was the yes. was the thing. I think he got a year long ban, but it was backdated, so he didn't really serve that much time. But you know, officially, yeah. But yeah, he it was like 19 or 20. It was, a, lot, it was a, he, a while ago. It
1: was a long time ago. He came through an era when uh, that was normal. <laughs> and and, and I, like I said, I I'm, I'm like reticent to bring it up because was so long ago. But, you know, the dude just got second to the Giro d'Italia and, and cycling has its history and glossing over that is not really... Particularly beneficial either, so it's worth mentioning for folks out there who don't know Caruso's history. Yeah, he, you know, he had a doping issue when he was basically the end of his junior years, beginning of his Espoir years. Um, you know, rode within teams that had a number of of issues in the sort of late two thousands, um, but nothing to suggest that this ride in particular was anything other than above board. Just has that bit of history that is, it's, it's unfortunate and it feels like, you know, cycling hasn't had a really high profile doping positive in a, in a while, in, a, in quite a while. And eventually, hopefully, we get to the point where the sort of crop of riders that was around in cycling's bad era is no longer racing, and we're we're very close to that tipping point. I mean, Caruso is what is he thirty three, so probably not racing for too much longer. And you know, he's he's one of those guys who's kind of at the end of that tail end of that. Um, yeah. Anyway, like I said, hate to bring it up, but it's a reality. It's it's his past, so it's worth 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 mentioning.
0: Let's pivot a little bit and talk about um, some of the other GC riders slash riders that we should take note of yates had a pretty good final kick in in the race but started off you know there was some a couple of days that were lacking so dane what do we take away from the race when it comes to yates i'm
2: I'm actually kind of disappointed with with yates's giro i, I feel like uh he came in almost on equal footing with bernal as a pre-race favorite it was those two guys and i feel like if if you look at this field and who ended up not doing that well Yates really should have been a closer challenger for Bernal. Uh, we, you know, this the past week we kind of talked about Yates kind of gaining on Bernal because he did have a basically one and a half nice stages, uh, gaining time back on Bernal. But at the end of the day, it was it wasn't close. Uh, he lost by more than four minutes to Bernal, uh, and, and it was really not close at all. And and I feel like Simon Yates, being a, a Grand Tour winner and somebody who's been here before over and over again in the Grand Tours. Uh, I feel like it's high time for him to be doing better than that, particularly against this field. This is not even, you know, this is not the Tour de France. It's the Giro. And, you know, Mika Landa left the race pretty early. Some of the other riders we thought were going to do better did not. Um, Yeah, so I don't want to go too harsh on Simon Yates. He did have a a great stage win, and he certainly lit up the race. He did a nice job of making things entertaining. But I don't really know what bike exchange is going to expect from him in the future because I feel like he should be winning a race like this or at least finishing closer to Bernal uh, with this field.
1: I would agree. Yeah, I was a little bit disappointed with him. this this this. I think he'll be disappointed with himself this month. Uh, he did mention some sort of illness, some unexplained illness or ailment or something at the start of the race and still no real explanation of that. And we're not entirely sure whether it's is, is an actual thing or not. As you said, Dane, some riders just say that at every race. They <laughs> just say something's wrong with them, right? Uh, but nonetheless, yeah, somewhat a somewhat disappointing three weeks in Italy.
0: Who else impressed you at the Giro this year, Dane?
2: Yeah. I, so, Alexander Vlasov was a rider who going in was, I think, seen as probably capable of doing basically exactly what he did, finishing in the top five. Uh, he didn't really challenge for the win, but he had done enough over the past year and a half or so to kind of suggest that he was just knocking on the door of that first big GC result at a Grand Tour. Uh, I think he's been basically the most underrated rider of the past year and a half. He's just not somebody that gets written about a whole lot, but he's done a lot of He's had a lot of great results, uh, and he ended up finishing fourth overall. He had some meh days kind of in the the mountains, uh, but ended up, yeah, still finishing inside the top five and and really establishing himself as somebody that uh, a Premier Tech can probably be pretty happy with for the future. Uh, Fifth overall really impressed me because he did it while doing a hell of a job for Egon Bernal. Uh, The fact that Danny Martinez is able to finish in the top five of this race while burying himself for egon bernal was i mean really 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 impressive for martinez and they have to be happy meanwhile ef has to be kicking themselves for letting him get away when their uh, gc rider of note uh he was fine Garthy was fine i kind of expected a lot better from him to be honest uh the fact that danny martinez was able to do all of those things uh top five and just constantly be up there as a teammate though extremely imp- impressive from him and he had a uh, fine final time trial as well, um, and we know that he's pretty strong on the time trial, but to do all of that after bearing himself for a teammate is just just awesome from from Martinez
0: yeah, I feel like Inios is coming out of this Giro with basically everything went right for them, including having this brand new rider to the team that that they've signed kind of really show up and put in one of the most impressive performances of the race and then going into the future i mean it's kind of hard this isn't the tour and it was like you've said a very different field like gc field than will be at the tour but it's impossible not to compare martinez and bernal to Frome and wiggins and bernal and Froome, and the duo that's that's the the guy who's billed as the domestique but manages to land himself fifth in the overall by the end of the race it's kind of an it's going to be interesting watching him for in the future because he's not old like he's 25 that's gc riders tend to come around a little bit like of course we've had a lot of really young gc winners but if you think about the gc winners before this young crop they were all you know later 20s
1: i i yeah like i said before i don't i still don't see martinez really trying to take that sort of primary leadership role I, you know maybe he's maybe he's given it an opportunity to Jiro over Vuelta sometime soon but it's just that team is so stacked uh i don't know We'll we'll see on that front i i was sort of domestique mvps for me for this race i had two and and well, three Martinez is one. He was, he was incredible, right? In really key, really visible moments. He was amazing. But I think that for sort of like the true domestic MVP, you kind of have to go to those moments that are, are a little bit less obvious and visible. And for me, it was, it was two riders. One was, was Ghana. Uh, and two was Alberto Bedial. And basically they both play a really similar role, which is that they, they're just incredibly strong riders. Right. And Ghana spent a huge amount of time on the front, this entire race and then still managed to, you know, win time trials and things like that. Uh, and Betty all too. Betty all was basically, uh, you know, Hugh didn't have the best Giro ever, but Betty all was, was absolutely crucial in a couple very important moments for keeping Hugh where he needed to be. And I like domestiques like that. These guys that, you know, they're really, they're time trialists or they're classics riders or something like that. And they're not, they're not sort of purebred grand tour, little skinny guys but because they're so strong they're able to just fill these gaps for their team leader in in really important ways so for me those two really stood out the entire the entire month and you know i think there's sort of an equivalent to that rider on most teams uh but for me yeah betty all and ghana just really really impressive the entire month
0: so who wasn't impressive
2: if if you look at the top well 10 12 spots there are riders who finished in there so i don't want to go too hard on them because They at least finished in the top 10, but you know, Roman Bardet was second overall at the Tour de France a few years ago. And on the one hand, going into this race, we didn't really know what the heck to expect from him going to a new team and not really having done a whole lot recently. Uh, and so the fact that he finished seventh, I'm sure he's coming out of this race thinking, okay, that wasn't too bad. I, I kind of established myself as a GC rider at this team. Meanwhile, Jai Hindley, you know, did not have a good Giro. Um, so Roman Bardet come you know comes into this race with low expectations probably. At the same time, I don't seventh at the Giro in this field, I feel like if you finish second at the Tour de France, you should be doing you should be doing bigger things. And uh, I I do feel like Hugh Carthy kind of also didn't have the the Giro that he probably wanted to have. Uh, again, top ten, so nice job on that front. But he, he was he was on the podium at the Vuelta last year against Primus Roglic and Richard Carbas. So yeah, I I think there's a couple of guys here. Ditto for George Bennett, you know, finishing 11th overall was not probably what he went in hoping for. Uh, you know, he's certainly still a GC rider, but yeah, some guys just had the the races that they didn't really want to have.
1: I, yeah, Hugh, I think was probably really hoping for another podium. Uh, I think that winning this race would have been a a stretch for him, but a podium was absolutely, was absolutely possible. (sighs) George Bennett had a horrible month and we love George, but yeah, he was just something, something the cold got him earlier in the, in the race and he just never seemed to fully recover. And even when he started sort of searching for stage wins that, that didn't work out particularly well. Uh, Feels like he should have got at least one, you know, he's he's in these groups with a bunch of riders who in theory aren't anywhere near as good a climber as he is. and, And he still didn't manage to get that stage win. So I think he, I think he'll come out of this, this race a little bit bummed. Uh, in terms of real disappointments, that's that's kind of it for me. Yeah,
2: yeah. I feel like none of the people that we really thought were going to like, you know, crush it, um, didn't. They, they, the ones who we really expect to have a great race, you know, they did okay. There, there weren't any massive disappointments. I mean, like Vincenzo niboli finishing way down the standings. He did break his wrist like two weeks before the race, so good excuse there.
1: Yeah. I, I'll I will say that Roman Bardet, yeah, had a had a disappointing overall probably, but you know, his little hit out near the end of the race there, like that that was that was great racing, right? I mean, and they, they basically attacked over the top of that climb. They basically attacked on a descent, really. Uh pulled it away, you know, he could have been with better legs in for a stage win, and that would have been entirely off of uh just you know, panache, basically, right? He's a French rider. They love that sort of stuff. I, I loved watching that stage and that stage could have been a procession, right? It could have easily have been a procession and, you know, Caruso was not the one pushing on and, and, and instigating that they jumped on an opportunity that was created by DSM and DSM's willingness to take a chance because that could have blown up spectacularly, right? Like, I mean, they could have gotten caught at the base of the final climb and Bardet could have lost seven minutes going up that thing and it, it, and it didn't and because they're willing to take a chance because they're willing to race really aggressively we got a really good stage to watch which i always appreciate and then you know bardet was in with a real shot at a stage win for a little while there i love that
3: yeah I, I i think for roman bardet although, although he's probably well you look at the top top 10 i think coming from the injury he had in last year's tour de france and changing teams i don't really think we should be too hard on him. i think himself personally he'd probably be disappointed in being what was it eight or nine minutes down on on uh Bernal um so uh, the the position is probably um slightly more flattering than the actual result as in terms of how far down he was we only really seen him on the action in that stage you were talking about Kayleigh and this the shortened stage as well I think he was was he well placed on that for me and I'm I'm going to say a writer here who have disappointing in the Giro but I'm not sure what I expected at the same time but Davide Formolo I kind of think that this was his opportunity for the season given that you know Pogaccia is going to be Team UAE Emirates' rider for the Tour de France Um, I'm not sure if Formolo is going there at at Pogaccia's service or not but you know I'm sure he would have been coming into the Giro hoping for uh, at least a top 10 in GC and and to be up there in stages but I struggle to recall the stage that he was really uh, a, a, a key player in or a, or a factor in I think he was in the break a couple of times but none of them succeeded and you know uh, that that's probably he finished I'm just checking here now he finished 15th overall at 47 minutes down that's uh, you know if if that was your 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 big opportunity for the season in that team he's bound to be coming away from the race slightly dis- or more than slightly disappointed with that
2: yeah he finished behind Attila Valter who was the the uh Rider who nobody expected to take the jersey and, and managed to still finish ahead of uh, Davide formula after three weeks. So, yeah, I think you're you're spot on there, Rona.
1: Yeah, he'll be super disappointed. And particularly, you know, Italian rider at the Giro had had high hopes. Absolutely,
3: previous stage one or two. So, you know, he has he has the pedigree, obviously. Yeah.
0: All right, Dane. Let's wrap up our our Giro coverage for 2021. What's the last bit of talking points coming out of the race?
2: Yeah. The fact that Peter Sagan won another points Jersey at a grand tour is pretty impressive. He's got just a few of those in his closet already. Uh, And the fact that he was able to come through the Giro and, and yes, part of it with the Giro, I mean, the the main thing that Peter Sagan did at this Giro was finish it in the points classification because so many of the sprinters bailed uh, before the, the final week, but Sagan did uh, win a stage and he was up there in a number of stages. he, Controlled or helped control the breakaway uh, in the final week to make sure the composition wasn't too deadly to him. Um, He, uh, you know, he he got uh, fined a mere thousand Swiss francs uh, for his activities and was docked UCI points. I kind of think he probably doesn't care about that. I think he can afford (laughs) a thousand Swiss francs. He is a well-paid rider, Uh, and yeah, it's probably worth it considering he won the points jersey. And I was reading uh, a story from Sticky Bottle, the Irish website, uh, noting that he is closing in on a record. Uh, Sean Kelly, I believe, has the all-time record for most days spent in a Grand Tour points jersey. And according to Sticky Bottle, I think Sagan is like two days off of that record now. So he doesn't have to win another points jersey. He just has to wear it for a few more days uh, at a Grand Tour. And he will be the all-time of days spent in a Grand Tour points jersey coming up here pretty soon. And one assumes he'll be able to do that uh, and he can probably spend a couple of days in that jersey so impressive ride from him uh getting another stage win and extending his his long list of uh of points jersey successes in his career
0: him winning another points jersey at the at the tour or maybe wearing it yes but being in contention for it i don't i don't see it really with like the sprinters we have coming up right now but he could totally i don't know go to the vuelta and wear the points jersey for three days
1: i can still see him doing it at the tour because he just has to come in like fourth every day <laughs> <laughs> unless they unless they changed unless they change the point system to actually be a sprinter's jersey which it isn't at the moment then yeah he just comes in fourth every day and and then comes in fourth on a day that all the sprinters get dropped and then he you know and he wins it
0: that seems like a flawed system
2: I don't want to derail too much because I know Abby wants to keep us on topic here, but Kaylee has now, and it's like twice in two weeks has hit on the points Jersey, uh, with hey, my, with And I just want to point out, <laughs> that's not a sprinter's Jersey. It's a Jersey for riders who are good, regardless of whether the terrain is uh conducive to GC riding. And it's, it rewards people, people like Sagan. and it should, we should, uh, the tour already that's does enough to help the pure sprinters. They get like three times as many points on the pure flat stages as if they needed the help. Uh, Peter Sagan is perfect for the points jersey, and I don't think it needs to change at all.
1: It's a consistency jersey. I think it's utterly uninspiring.
2: I'm inspired.
0: <laughs> it, it's good for it's good for Sagan that he's now won a couple races this year, and he can he can ha- take some more confidence because he had like he definitely had a rough run there for a minute. So this is gonna do wonders for him in the future
3: just just one last thing just on the sprinters and we've spoken about this so many times but the sprinters who dropped out of the giro if you're looking for a reason why have a look at um elia velviani's finishing time on on gc he was five and a half hours down so the sprinters in this race who made it all the way to milan did 22 stages where everybody <laughs> has to 21 so just bear bear that in mind I would have dropped out, 100%. That's not, that's not, that's not a, yeah, that's not i I'm I'm not talking about Viviani in particular, I'm just meaning that those writers at the bottom of the timesheet have done effectively an extra mountain stage there.
1: (sighs) Yeah, the group had a rough go of it this month.
3: I I always, I always look to that end of the the result sheets because that's where I was mostly. (laughs) it's, It's interesting to see. (laughs)
0: uh before we move on to the dauphiné which is going on right now just a really quick update on the lotto turingan ladies tour we'll talk a bunch more about this um in freewheeling this week but the whole race was won by Lucinda Brand. She also won two stages. Lorena Wiebes won two stages. emma Guard won a stage. And lotto Capecchi won a stage. So, very sprinter heavy race. But yeah, Lucinda Brand winning the overall is awesome for Brand and also for Trek because they have, they really struggled at the Vuelta a Burgos. They had Lizzie Dogden at this race, but she was not up there really. So, Lucinda Brand. Coming in and getting them a result is, is big for the team. I mean, they haven't, they have Elisa Longoburgini, but other than she wasn't at this race, but she's, she's been really their only world tour winning rider this season. I think if Ruth had had a little more freedom or if Ruth had, had been able to kind of go for some of those later season classics, um, we would have probably seen, probably seen her up there, but yeah brand back from winning the Cyclocross world championships and uh onto the road
1: the u.s olympic team i think is supposed to be announced today isn't it
0: tomorrow june 1st
1: well then we'll talk about it in the next episode a little bit because that's an interesting there's there's a lot of interesting things going on with that that selection and once we get teams the not that we're biased or anything abby
0: <laughs> <laughs> not at all
1: Yeah, we'll we'll talk a little bit about Olympic selection stuff uh, maybe in the next episode once we start getting more of those teams. We got a little bit of a gap here between this, uh, the Giro and the Tour de France. And that seems like a good time to talk a bit of Olympics, which is going to be here before we know it. Right, right. Post Tour de France, right?
0: Yeah. Or you can check out Freewheeling because we will definitely talk about it on Freewheeling this week. All right. So the Dauphiné is going on. We've had, as of recording, two stages, two pretty exciting finales, Dane, What's up with the Dauphiné?
2: I don't want to go too much into the Dauphiné. We've, we've spent a lot of time talking about racing already, but uh, we've, we've had two breakaway winners so far at this race. So any of the attendants are probably pretty bummed. Most notably, he's not really a sprinter, but Sonny Cobrelli now finishing second on back-to-back days. Probably not too thrilled with the way things have gone so far. Uh, but the GC is going to heat up pretty soon. There's a time trial on stage four, and there are two really hard stages at the end of this race. Um, the the startless not quite as good as you tend to expect from the Night because both Primus Roglic and Tade Pogacar decided to not ride and, and train instead. But the Ineos Grenadiers still have quite a few heavy hitters in Gary and Thomas, uh, Richie Port, and Tev Gegenhardt here. Uh, we've got other big names as well. Miguel Angel Lopez is coming off a nice few weeks here. Sepkus and uh, Steven Kreisweg at Yumbo Visma. So plenty of riders to battle for the GC and that's going to hopefully get going here in a in the next couple of days so good reason to watch
1: are are Roglic and Pogacar doing Tour de Suisse or are they just not doing a lead-up race
2: but you, you, neither one is doing the Tour de Suisse neither one is doing the Dauphiné
3: we we chat a previous about the fact that Roglic was doing nothing between Liège and the Tour which seemed crazy didn't it but well, not not crazy just unheard of
0: I think for, for some riders that are targeting the Olympics and also doing the tour, they've taken a big chunk off of racing in order to race into the Olympics at the tour. But I don't know if that really works for a GC rider like rog- Roglic and Pogachar. But I think that it was kind of proved last year during the quarantine when everyone was training on the trainer that it is possible if you have the mindset to be able to come into form just training at home and just training with motor pacing and stuff like that. And not having, not having any, um, racing lead in to the tour.
2: Yeah. I'm, I'm expecting both those riders to be flying at the tour, even if they don't have any racing experience going in. And you know, the, the leading grand tour rider of his day basically became a rider who constantly gets dropped at the Dauphiné two years ago. So I don't really blame people for deciding to skip the Dauphiné when, uh, Yeah, any race you go to, there's a chance that you're going to crash really hard and break a ton of bones and and never be the same again. So uh, if if you're a tour contender and all that really matters to you is the Tour de France, uh, I don't blame them for not going to the Dauphine.
1: I think it's a shame when big name riders don't go to big races personally. It's one of those things where, you know, we talked about the calendar a million different times, but if the calendar was a bit slimmer and you could basically force the big names to go to all the big events, that would be, it would really change cycling. I think, Uh, you know, we get, we don't tend to get the same matchups over and over and over and over again. And I think that that's to the detriment of the sport as a whole, where, you know, we don't get to see Pogacar versus Bernal this year. and, And who knows how that would have gone. And we have to kind of just then play the what if game. And this is one of those problems with the, an overloaded season and, and sort of a lack of a, of a real, well, any sort of single management where, you know, all uh, someone who can say, no, all the big name riders have to be at this race. That doesn't exist in cycling as it does in many other sports. And it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of to cycling's detriment. I think, you know, we've got, now we've got a Dauphiné with just a bunch of really without the two top contenders for the Tour de France. And so as pundits, you know, what are we supposed to talk about now? <laughs> what we, now we don't get to see the race and be like, oh, well, Roglic is definitely not winning because he got dropped at the Dauphiné or whatever. Uh, we don't get to see that at all.
3: If I thought pagacha and Roglic were going head to head there, I would not have been on that roof. I would have been see? in front of the TV. This is what I mean. We got to get Ronan off the roof.
0: I don't know. I, I don't agree with you guys, really. I mean, I think that, yeah, there's something to be said about having a lot of big names at races, but I think also... It, when the big names kind of space it out a little bit, we still got to see Roglic and Pogachar be really exciting in the spring. And then they took a break and stepped aside and a let, and let a bunch of other guys come and have some fun on the roads. And then they'll, they'll step in for the tour and that's like going to be really exciting to watch them there as well. So I think it's actually, I agree to some extent about a more condensed calendar, but I also think that it's great for a lot of other rider, riders who get overshadowed by those big names when they get to come in and win races and, and have fun and it's not as controlled and it's, it's just a little bit different of a racing experience to watch.
1: I just think that there are sort of only, only so many riders that the average cycling fan let's, let's consider the fact that we are not average cycling fans, right? The average cycling fan can kind of keep track of. And if those riders aren't at the races, then, then, Those fans are not going to show up and tune in, right? It's just sort of a maximum bandwidth for for the fan base, and yeah, that's sort of the fundamental problem that I have with it, I guess. But anyway, we're going. I don't
0: know. I feel like you can always find one or two, but we are going on a tangent, and I'm going to bring us back. All right, so that's it for racing talk. Really, we have six more days of the Dauphiné coming up. Should be exciting. Dane, do you want to give us like a mini preview, like a very quick preview? Sure.
2: There's a time trial on stage four. There's two. Lumpy stages after that, uh, there's a really hard day on stage seven and a really hard day on stage eight. And by the way, there's another world tour race, uh, coming up like right, right then, because that's how that works. The tour de Suisse, uh, is going to start, uh, on the final day of the curtain. So in between now and the next podcast, actually, there will be a, a second world tour race going on, which I'm sure Kaylee will be very happy about. Uh, all the talent okay. being spread across yet another race. Uh, at least that one will have Julian Alaphilippe and Matthew Vanderpool and Richard Carpas uh, the Tour de Suisse, maybe it has a start list to certainly rival the Dauphine this year, if not actually even having a better one. So keep that in mind. Our sport is
0: dumb. Stop. <laughs>
3: I know you're nodding, I know you're nodding your head, Abby, but it has to be said, that's part of the problem. Like, I'm fatigued from watching 21 stages of the Giro, and then I'm supposed to pick up the Dauphine immediately and then follow straight into the Tour de Suisse. Like, that's...
0: On that exact yeah. note, actually, <laughs> that is a great argument for not having the women's Tour de France after the men's Tour de France. But before we dive into the Nerd Nugget, this week's episode is also brought to you by Breakfast with Boz, served up by Wahoo Fitness. Breakfast with Boz is a Wahoo podcast hosted by former professional cyclist Ian Boswell. Ian rode for Team Sky and Katusha, completing each of the three grand tours during his time as a pro. Now Ian has taken on new adventures of racing gravel bikes and having conversations with a host of interesting athletes from Sarah Sturm, Colin Strickland, Jack Thompson, and world tour professionals from the men's and women's side of the sport. Ian discusses relevant topics in the sport today and highlights training-related topics by speaking with the Wahoo Sports Science coaching staff. Thank you to Wahoo Fitness for sponsoring this episode.
1: Side note, one, I like Ian. He's great. Two, it's a great podcast. Does a really good job. Three, recently had Molly Cameron on talking about trans issues and and some of the Arkansas stuff that we've mentioned previously, and that is a fantastic episode. So go check it out. My two cents. Nerd alert! Nerd alert! Nerd alert!
2: Nerd alert! Let's dive
0: into the nerd nugget now. Kaylee, you had an idea of what we were going to talk about for nerd nugget today, so I'll let you take it for a minute to toss it over to Ronan.
1: Well, my idea was just to talk about what ended up being the most viewed story on cycling tips for the entire month of May, which was Ronan's story about end caps on hubs, because apparently our audience is super nerdy, which we love. They want to click on end cap stories more than anything else. (laughs) on The entire website. It's a, as somebody who has been a tech editor and also a sort of race reporter person, uh, As a race reporter, it can be somewhat frustrating where you're like, I wrote this whole big feature, talked to all these people, got quotes and did the thing and did the thing. and great headline, blah. And then, you know, you get like pretty good traffic on it. And then Ronan writes a story about some end caps (laughs) and a bajillion people want to read it. So, Ronan, (laughs) tell me about these end caps. What, what What are we talking about here?
3: Uh, well, just haven't heard all that. I think I need to start by just apologising to the UCI because I was hitting on them, but apparently the the UCI know what the people want, so that's that's what we have to take from that. I think, but yeah, basically uh, at the start of the Giro, you know, we discussed at length about some of the uh, wheel selections that some of the top teams in Stage One Time Trial uh, had made. So both uh, Enios. Or actually, Ineos, Yumbo Visma and DSM, I believe, were using AeroCoach uh, uh front wheels, basically. Uh, now, the story I wrote only applies to the Ineos version because their rim brake, the disc brake version, was not affected. But basically, those, those front wheels from AeroCoach have uh, a, an ultra-narrow front hub. You know that that's not by accident. AeroCoach coach have made it that narrow because that is a significant um, aerodynamic advantage uh, for for a time trial wheel. Uh, and to fill in that sort of gap then created between the front hub and the fork, which is obviously still just the same width, regardless of the the type of front hub you're using. AeroCoach coach filled it in with an arrow shaped uh, end cap on their on their hub. Now it is a. St- structural piece of the hub the wheel cannot function without it but it just happens to be aerodynamically shaped and coincidentally after that wheel with those arrow shaped front end caps one stage one of the time trial the UCI says no 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 you can't use those anymore those are too much of an advantage that is an uh, an arrow fairing uh, and fairings are banned in our sport so the UCI quickly moved to to ban that end cap, despite the fact that it's been, it's you know, those wheels have been available for more than two years. I know that Aero coach put a huge amount of effort into working with the UCI to ensure that everything is UCI legal. Uh, they had actually developed that that end cap within the three to one ratio to, to try and ensure that it didn't have a problem with the UCI. Uh, but they turned around after stage one of the Giro and says that is now banned. You have to redesign it.
1: I mean the UCI. Actually, I think a, a number of our biggest stories of the entire year have been the UCI doing dumb things, and this is one of them. They, they, they just know what our audience wants, and our audience loves clicking on stories that dunk on the UCI. Basically, this it, is so silly because okay, so if you go if you unread the rules, you're like, yes, fairings are illegal. But the problem is, is this is much like a lot of the other sort of technical regulations that the UCI has, which is that like, how do you define a fairing, and then the UCI basically defines a fairing differently. All the time, because a TT helmet is a fairing. All the stuff that goes behind your head, that's a fairing. That's not structural. You don't need that part for a helmet. Lots of stuff that we have on bikes for a long time. Those like little covers for brakes on a lot of TT bikes were being allowed. They're not allowed anymore, but they were allowed for a while. And those were obviously fairings. They were that's literally the definition of what those little covers were. So the, it's again, we come back to sort of the, the, the real issue is not is not the fact that the UCI has banned these little end caps. It's the fact that like they've existed for a while and, and nobody ever has any idea when something is just about to suddenly be illegal. And, and, and you know, teams then had to scramble and AeroCoach coach had to go create new little end caps to get ready for the final time trial because, you know, the teams used the same wheels in the final time trial, but they couldn't use the end caps they used in stage one. It's just a sort of silly, amateurish, and and quite uh, frustrating inability to consistently apply the rules, and and that's I think what we that's what we like dunking on.
3: <laughs> yeah, and you, you pointed out one very particular example: of the fairing covers on 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 brakes that are not allowed anymore, except right. on Filippo Gana's, uh time trial bike, which has aero fairings clearly aero fairings covering the brakes
1: literally a piece of plastic going over the brakes i don't know how i don't know how else you define a fairing and and then we and then we ban these little end caps which are structural as you mentioned if you take these off your wheel does not work it will fall out (laughs) so how do they i don't know how this i don't i don't understand i don't understand at all
3: the thing that most annoys me about this is that a lot of you know we we, we know about this because Enios can't use them, but a lot of amateur riders or you know just uh, riders who enjoy time traveling on on a you know it's it's a I know it's not big around the world, but it's a huge scene in in the UK and Ireland. And I, I know a lot of riders have bought these wheels. The same riders will be planning to participate in their national time trial championships under UCI regulations. And now suddenly, the wheels that they bought that AeroCoach had developed in good faith. And the UCI have turned around two years later and and banned these things and and you know it's not that they're going to make the difference between winning and losing ninety nine point nine percent of time trials because you know coach have tested them to make a grand total of less than half a watt of difference half a watt of difference uh, that, and that's that's the two of them combined each side. You know so it, it's just yeah utterly ludicrous I, I think and 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 it's 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 those you know um it, it's it's companies like AeroCoach coach who are trying to do things the best they can by the uci regulations and athletes who are buying products with you know with hard-earned money and then for those to be turned for the uci just to turn around on a, you know after one particular rider wins the opening time trial of, of a grant or using these wheels and then ban them that that's the big problem that i have
0: I wonder when the UCI is going to ban Continental's tubes that we talked about in the beginning of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> Tubeless.
3: Just, just to go back on your point earlier, at the tail end of last month, I put a lot of time and effort into a piece about Canyon's new Speedmax uh, time trail bike. Uh, and although it was a new story about a new bike, I... I put most of the time and effort into sort of explaining why I think that the UCI are, are killing time traveling effectively handing it to to triathlon and 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 this this comes back to it as well it's like the you know uh, when we watch grand tours yes everything is under UCI regulations but if you pay close attention to the UK and Ireland time travel scene like I like I do you'll see that quite a lot of the riders have no interest for UCI regulations. They only are interested in how fast can I go? And that scene is only getting bigger by, by, the, by the week. Uh, and, and the UCI is effectively saying, well, if you want a time trial like that, you're not welcome in our sport or their version of the sport.
1: Yeah, you know, and I think a perfect example of that is like the hour record, right? You know, we had the Merck's hour record for a very long time, which is that anybody who did the hour had to do it on this basically old bike. Right, box section rims and thirty-two spokes and a whole bunch of other random rules. And as soon as those rules were lifted, then suddenly bike brands had a reason to invest and to put some money behind this thing and 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 pay their athletes to do an hour record. And it, the whole sort of the the industrial complex that sits behind a lot of these athletic endeavors sort of like you know turned on basically for the first time in thirty years, 40, 35 years. And I think you could see something similar in, in sort of road time trialing, if the UCI would relax some of those rules, because as you say, all of the, all of the innovation is happening in triathlon right now. And, you know, there's, there's sort of an argument for, okay, well, do we want full sort of full on, like those crazy looking triathlon bikes in road cycling? Ah, I don't really see any reason why not. It's just, it's just sort of a traditionalist mindset that says, I want a bike to look like a bike. Right. But at the end of the day, you know, half the triathlon bikes out there don't have, they have entire tubes missing things like that right they're just big l-shaped frames and all sorts of crazy stuff is there anything really actually inherently wrong with that if that's faster if shouldn't we shouldn't we kind of be asking the industry to push forward shouldn't we be trying to make time trials as, as fast as possible i mean is that the whole idea so yeah i'm kind of with you i, I think that i think that a, a, a re-look at ucs time trial regulations in general could could be really interesting could actually then spur even more investment from the industry into making riders go faster, which is at the end of the day, kind of what we want to see, right? It's, it's like any sport you want to see the absolute pinnacle. Whereas right now you watch a UCI time trial, you watch a stage race time trial, Giro time trial. That's not the pinnacle. That's not as fast as Filippo Ghana could have gone, right? It's just not. If you relax a lot of those rules, he goes a couple K an hour faster. And shouldn't that kind of be the idea is that the whole idea of sport is to just sort of go faster and faster and faster and faster anyway we can maybe leave that broader discussion for another time i think it's time to i think it's probably time to wrap up today huh, abby
0: it is i would say i would say it's time to wrap up that is all we got we will be back to discuss the rest of the criterium dauphine the tour de swiss and the women's tour de swiss that is coming up over the weekend for now thank you so much for listening and we will be back